Martin and uh, to our singers for leading us in our worship today and for Dean at short notice along with me restructuring everything today uh, and picking hymns that I hope are just really appropriate to the, the occasion and the mood of this time. I'm sure that, like me, many of you have struggled to describe how you've been feeling this past few days. It's been strange. As the news of Her Majesty's death began to sink in, we did feel that sense of loss. I know I felt that, especially when I woke up on Friday morning. A sense that things will never be the same again. Because the, the Queen was a great constant in our life. When you think about it today, most of us here, the, the vast majority of us sitting in this church this afternoon, knew no other monarch than the Queen in our lives. And she provided continuity and stability when so many things changed in our society and our world. And now here we are facing up to some big uncertainties as a nation. That continuing recovery from COVID and all of the, the, the unintended consequences of the, the restrictions and all of the fallout from that. We see an escalation in the war in Ukraine, and we know that the energy crisis is in some ways linked to that war, and that in turn is leading to what people are describing as a cost of living crisis. We're unsure as to what this winter will be like. It seems there will be discontent and industrial action. And we face up to all of this without the Queen who was such a source of stability in our lives and in our nation. In fact, we do this with a new prime minister and a new monarch in the space of a week, and we are left wondering what the future will be like. Well, I want you to think with me for a moment about what it would have been like for Isaiah as he went up to the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles today to that passage with me for a few moments. Isaiah went there to worship God in a time of incredible change, in a time of great uncertainty. We don't know for sure what Isaiah felt that day. There is no mention of his feelings, but we can guess that as Isaiah approached the temple, he would have had feelings similar to the ones that I've been describing here today. Why? Well, take a look with me at the circumstances in which Isaiah visited the temple. Here's the context right at the beginning of verse 1. We're told in the year that King Uzziah died, and King Uzziah was one of the greats. He'd been one of the great kings of Judah, that nation which was made up by many of God's people. Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. Many people in Isaiah's day would have known no one else. He had always been king. And even though Uzziah's pride was ultimately his downfall, he did many good things during his reign. 
He rebuilt the cities in Judah, and He strengthened the defenses of the nation. He built up an army that had success against their great enemies, God's great enemy, the Philistines. And He certainly provided stability compared to the kings around Him during that period of the history of God's people. So, just like how it is for us, after 70 years of Elizabeth's reign, the people of Judah would have struggled to come to terms with the loss of Uzziah. For Isaiah and his fellow countrymen, these were terribly uncertain days, which is why Isaiah needed a fresh glimpse of the Lord. And that's exactly what he got that day when he went up to the temple. One of the favorite stories that I've heard about the queen was one that was told by one of her former close protection officers around the time of the Jubilee celebrations. And he recalled a time when he was with the queen at Balmoral. She was out on one of her walks that took her right out beyond the boundaries of the estate and they bumped into some American tourists. The problem was, these American tourists completely failed to recognize the queen. And one of them asked them, have you ever met the queen? To which the queen answered, well, no, I haven't, but, but he has. And this American gentleman was so impressed to meet someone who had actually met the queen, who knew the queen, that he handed his camera to Her Majesty and asked her to take a photograph of him along with this man, which the Queen dutifully did. The bodyguard tells that he made sure that things were contrived in such a way that a photograph was also taken of these tourists along with the Queen herself. And then as they left, the Queen turned to him and said, just imagine what it's going to be like when they get home and they're showing people those photographs and someone recognizes who I really am. I wonder today, are you able to recognize who the living God is? Have you maybe been brought up with or have you developed a wrong view of God? For some people, God is nothing more than the man upstairs. He's out there somewhere, but it's all pretty vague. For other people, God is nothing more than a cuddly granda who is well-meaning and who maybe you can go and get some stuff from. And for other people, God is nothing more than the go-to person in times of trouble. He is the one who maybe, if you turn to Him, will bail you out. I wonder, have you got a small view of God? Because here in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's vision of the Lord was expanded. There's no reason to believe that Isaiah himself had a small view of God. But what he saw of the Lord that day was so important. In a time of great change, and at a time in Isaiah's life, when the Lord was calling him to do a great job for him. But what is it that Isaiah got to see? 
Well, that day, first of all, Isaiah was given a fresh view of God. And here's what he, he was able to see. As he went to the temple, he was confronted with this vision of God in all of His glory and all of His holiness. What he sees of God is summed up in what the angels around the Lord cry out in praise to Him in verse 3, when they shout in praise, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And God's holiness isn't just one facet or one part of who He is. Rather, God's holiness is everything about God, all of those individual attributes that make God God, that make Him so completely different from us, them all brought together. That is what God's holiness is all, is all about. Everything that sets our God apart and above us. But specifically, what was Isaiah able to see of the Lord that day? Well, he was able to see the reality that God is in control. He tells us in verse 1, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And when you read through Scripture, you see that that is an image of the Lord that was given to many of His servants when they most needed to see it, when they most needed to be reminded of His true identity, when it was tough living for Him and serving Him and telling others the truth about Him. God is seated on the throne, just as much today as He was on Thursday. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our God can take the circumstances of this life and this world, both good and bad, and use them for His glory and for the good of His people, for their ultimate good? He is in control. But Isaiah was also able to see in that vision that God is powerful. We're told in verse 2 about these angels or seraphs, each with six wings. And we're told that with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So think about it, angels in the, the pecking order, if you like, angels are set above us as people. We are at the pinnacle of creation, but then here are the angels placed above us, and yet what are the angels doing? They're not drawing attention to themselves. Everything about their posture, everything about their activity is bringing glory to God, worship to Him, focus on Him. Learn from their body language. These six-winged angels that we read about here, that with two of their wings, they cover their eyes. They feel a sense of unworthiness. We're not worthy to stand in the presence of God and look on Him. With two, they cover their feet, which was an indication of reverence. And with the other two, they're hovering. They're waiting to do the Lord's bidding, to go and do exactly what He commands them to do. Is it the case that you have reduced 
the living Almighty God to some kind of cuddly grandeur, or maybe an Aladdin's genie that you turn to and expect Him just to give you exactly what you want? Do you need a fresh glimpse of the living God and all of His holiness and all of His power and all of His might? But on that day, not only was Isaiah granted by the Lord a fresh view of God, as a result of that, he also had a fresh view of himself. Because inevitably, he realized what he was like in comparison. So that he says these words in verse 5. This is his realization. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. This is what I'm really like. Isaiah had this great realization as to how far he fell short of God's glory. And that's what happens whenever you come face to face with God in all of His holiness. When we, in worship of God, when we, in turning to God's Word, are granted a glimpse of the truth about God, His real identity, when we recognize Him and our eyes are open to Him, then we come to recognize the truth about ourselves. And we know that it is an ugly truth. So that in the case of Isaiah, as he has this realization, look at what he says first of all at the beginning of verse 5. This is the conclusion, woe to me, I am ruined. He's saying, I'm finished, I'm a dead man. This sense of total unworthiness. And I want to say to you today that it is this sense of unworthiness, whatever our society might tell us otherwise, that is actually needed in our lives. It is this sense of unworthiness that is required as the first step to getting right with God. Because as Isaiah confesses his sin, his unworthiness, oh, my lips, my mouth, the stuff that comes out of it, how unworthy I am. I'm ruined. As he does this, then in grace, forgiveness is offered to him. Look again at verses 6 and 7. He tells us, then one of the seraphs, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And we have to see the significance of where this coal comes from. It comes from the altar, the place of sacrifice, the place where sacrifices were offered to the Lord. And it draws our mind to the ultimate sacrifice that was made by the servant king, by Jesus, and the forgiveness that we can find in His sacrifice on the cross. As much as we loved our Queen and wanted her to go on and go on and to live as long as possible, her life and reign have ended. 
And that makes us sad. But the Bible tells us of a perfect and eternal king. His reign will never, ever end. And you can be part of his eternal kingdom as we believe undoubtedly the queen was. You can be part of this eternal kingdom because this eternal king came to be your savior. He went to the cross for you and he calls you to himself. Today, will you come? Will you come to him and trust in him? Will you bow the knee before him? Will you pray today? And if you do, speak to me about it, Lord. I realize I'm so unworthy. I realize my life is not the way it should be. I look at what you're like. I see what I'm like, and I know that I need the forgiveness of Christ. Do you need a fresh glimpse of God, the eternal King? He's not a small God, and we praise Him and give Him the glory today. Amen.